So I think AI, but also other technologies, not necessarily AI technologies, really uh, will play an important role in, in, in making our planet a little bit smaller uh, through connecting various data sources. Our speaker today has a long list of achievements. He's an adjunct professor of medicine and nephrology at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York and holds a teaching appointment at the Medical University of Innsbruck. He is the head of biomedical evidence generation and also the research director at the Reno Research Institute in New York. He, said he has authored and co-authored over 350 publications and book chapters, and he holds multiple patents in the field of kidney replacement nephrology uh, and therapy. Welcome, Professor Peter Kotenko. Thank you so much, Augusto, for this uh, warm welcome. I'm really looking forward to our conversation, and I'm, I'm so glad that, uh, that I got invited to this podcast. Okay, so it's our pleasure to have it with us today. And I would like to start by asking you, uh, how does this passion to computational uh, biomedicine and data analysis emerge in your career? That, that's, a, that's a really good question. I, I, I need to think a little bit about this. I believe it really started after I graduated from med school in Innsbruck, Austria. I, I joined uh, the Department of Physiology to go into basic research. And uh, in that context, I attended a summer school on mathematical modeling in Padua, Italy, led by uh, Dr. Cobelli. And it was really that I was exposed to the mathematical modeling, to the field of mathematics in medicine. Um, so this was, to be honest, it's a long time ago. It was at the early 1980s. Um, uh, later, in the early 1990s, I was exposed to artificial neural networks, which back then were very simple tools. You know, they had whatever, 10 input neurons, one hidden layer, and uh, and then uh, output neuron. But I was just deeply fascinated. So actually, uh, I was awarded a research grant by the Austrian Ministry of Science to, to research the use of artificial neural networks to improve the care of type 1 diabetic patients. And so here we are talking about the early 1990s, so it's 30 years ago. And, uh, and so I, I teamed up with a group of mathematicians and, and computer scientists to develop tools to, to predict blood glucose in type 1 diabetics. And I think from then on, I was following this whole field closely. And when it came to the Renal Research Institute, which is a, is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fresenius Medicare, a large dialysis provider, um, there was just so great opportunity to have access to patient data. So it came very natural that we would use also artificial intelligence and also mathematical modeling to, um, to develop prediction models, for example, in those patients. Then, of course, I mean, just three, four years ago, there was this uh, 
exponential growth of, of um, AI tools that we now use uh, both in research but also clinically to improve uh, patient outcomes. Yeah, that, that's really fascinating because nowadays there is so much interest to data analytics, but not long time ago, this is was really something really out of the box. Uh, and and just uh, to to keep on, on this same subject, so uh, can you explain in few words what artificial intelligence is and, and why is it uh, so being discussed and so, so a hot topic nowadays? Yeah. So first, there, there is no unifying definition of artificial intelligence I'm, I'm aware of. Um, artificial intelligence was originally conceived, uh, I believe, by the Dartmouth School in, um, in the mid-50s, 1956, I believe. And it was just defined very loosely as computers that uh, solve problems in a way as a human being would do that. And in order to achieve this, uh, the structure, uh, a key structure in the field of artificial intelligence became what's called artificial neural networks. And uh, I mean, there was this intention to compare it to a biological uh, structure the, the brain, the neurons, the way how they are interacting with each other. Although it seemed to me a, to always a little bit artificial, to be honest. Now, uh, artificial uh, intelligence heavily, as I said earlier, builds on artificial neural networks that comprise uh, neurons. Uh, neurons are mathematical structures with, with a data input transfer functions and output functions. And those neurons are connected to each other in a very uh, deliberate way. And by combining not just uh, 10 neurons as we did in the early 1990s, but uh, tens of millions and even billions of neurons are uh, entirely new uh, ways to uh, to work with uh, with data, be it images, be it text, be it uh, be it natural language, for example, uh, have emerged. To completely new ways how to deal with that. And the yeah. reason, yeah. And the reason yeah. why I think it's it's getting so much traction is because our our computational capabilities have increased dramatically. I mean, cloud computing, and massive parallel computing, but also I think that the 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 theoretical foundation of artificial intelligence has just improved dramatically. Yeah, and and I was just uh, tell, well, starting to think here because actually this connects with the idea that lots of data is being collected from patients every day, and this is especially true for nephrology. So I believe artificial intelligence has a a, a big. Uh, role to play in, in, in nephrology in, in the next years to come, maybe even still uh, happening, this is happening now. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you, Augusta. Uh, so um, just to give you an example, uh, in, in the dialysis machines in some of our dialysis units, uh, 
download data every 10 seconds. I mean, or, or upload them to the cloud, I should say. So this uh, is machine data. So this is data from some biosensors. Uh, and, and so this is a massive amount of data that's collected. Uh, instantaneously, as I said, in 10 second intervals. Now, these data are combined with, say, data from electronic health records uh, and, and data from other sources. So it's really this uh, high dimensional, multimodal data uh, that, uh, that are then interpreted and by means of uh, AI tools. Yeah, so probably artificial intelligence will be able to help us uh, find new patterns in the treatment, maybe even unforeseen patterns in the treatment of patients with chronic kidney disease. But I, I, can you see any uh, direct use, for instance, uh, in, in uh, organ allocation uh, in patients while uh, uh, going to a kidney transplant or uh, patients during dialysis. Maybe we can uh, see some uh, patterns that could be easily uh, managed all the amount of data by these yeah. new technologies. Yeah, it's a very good point you're bringing up. I mean, uh, we, for example, have recent, just a few weeks ago, published an AI machine learning method to predict intradiolytic hypotension uh, within 15 to 75 minutes before uh, before it actually happens. And uh, so it's a near real-time prediction of intradiolytic hypotension during an ongoing dialysis treatment. So this, and that's the thinking here, could enable the physician to actually, uh, or the clinician, the healthcare provider, to actually intervene uh, preemptively and prevent the intradiolytic hypertension, something that, of course, needs to be tested prospectively. So this is a, is a good example here. Uh, uh, we use AI tools as we speak to predict uh, hospitalization in patients. And, uh, and then in patients that, that turn out to be at very high risk for hospitalization, then certain interventions happen. So this has been published uh, also. So there is, uh, there is a large number of, of use cases here. And I think these use cases will just grow with the advent of specifically generative AI, uh, large language models such as ChatGPT and others. So I would think that there will be a, a rapid growth of applications of AI in, in nephrology in general, in medicine in general, uh, including nephrology and, and dialysis care for sure. Yeah, and maybe even in the prevention and treatment of AKI. So uh, this this brings us to to another uh, important topic. Is uh, always when we we talk about artificial intelligence, there is always this uh, threat that uh, it's uh, machines substituting uh, manpower. So basically, what we can have in mind is that uh, artificial intelligence is is coming and probably will, will be a great tool to help physicians and not to take take places of, of, of yeah, yeah. Uh, 
yeah. what we are I don't already think, yeah, yeah. I don't think that uh, AI will replace physicians. I mean, that's something uh, I really don't see. What I see, though, is that AI can help physicians, assist physicians, and maybe give them more time really to, to focus on the patient, you know, to have more meaningful conversation with the patient because AI helps in uh, with some mundane tasks, helps to flag patients at high risk for something. So for some, uh, you know, be it hospitalization or something else. So I think it, it's just a tool that will help physicians to, to uh, spend more, I don't know if it's a good term, quality time with the patient. Uh, that's how I, I see it, that's what I hope will happen. I, I definitely don't share the opinion that AI will replace a physician. Yeah, and it, that, that's quite interesting because uh, I also, when, when we talk with, about artificial intelligence, one, one of the, the concerns is uh, about uh, patients and uh, physicians living in social disadvantaged uh, countries. So uh, inequalities are everywhere. And some of these people, they, they have become invisible to healthcare systems. So how, how do you think that artificial intelligence can help us prevent models to uh, from ignoring uh, socially disadvantaged populations and be more inclusive instead of yeah. Uh, yeah. that's a, that's a really big big problem in my mind. It has been very well recognized that um, the participation of people in general across the globe is very imbalanced when it comes to access to technology. I, I think an important first step is to recognize that this is the case, that uh, there is a danger that uh, artificial intelligence generates very biased um, outputs. And, and there is, uh, I think, a growing recognition in the, in the AI community that this is the case. There's a, a growing recognition in the medical community that deals with AI that this is indeed the case. There, there is ways to make sure that even populations that are underrepresented, that they are through some means like upsampling is one, one of those approaches, that they are uh, represented, say, in a training data set. Uh, to an extent that uh, is representative of their uh, true, you know, fraction of the patient population, but it's a, um, it's a difficult question. I'm not sure if a, if a good answer has been found to that because, of course, AI learns from existing data, and if there is large segments of a population that just do not provide data. It's uh, AI can have a blind spot there. I mean, in a way, I'm 
when I, when, I, when I travel different countries uh, uh, in, in the global south, there is one thing I see in many hands. It's, it's phones. It's, uh, and, and I think the widespread use of, of phones, smartphones, may provide an opportunity, if done right, that patient data can be uh, communicated to to healthcare providers and uh, and then used also for AI systems. So I I think that uh, communication from uh, from these disadvantaged segments to a broader audience will get actually easier because of the widespread use of uh, phone technologies. But um, yeah, I don't have a, a really, I think, good answer here. Uh, it's my, my sense is that first step is done. We have recognized the problem. And second, that with the, with the wider spread of uh, modern information technologies, smartphone, et cetera, I think there, there is ways to to make sure that this, uh, this imbalance uh, is, is mitigated. Yeah, so that that's a, a, a great point because actually local preferences and particularities maybe should be addressed by inclusion and 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 policies which are not easy to be implemented and and debated. But anyway, that's a very important topic, and and also brings us to to the idea of how education is important. So uh, having education spread all over the globe uh, is also paramount for fighting yeah. misinformation Absolutely. and bad scientific practices. So how, yeah. how, how do you think that AI can help us in, in this yeah. regard, because it's yeah. going to be a, a major player, I believe, in education yeah. in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, first, first, I think um, education, physicians need and healthcare providers need to be educated about AI. Uh, they need to be educated uh, about how to communicate, say, for example, the outcome of an AI-driven prediction model to the patient. I think we as physicians, we it's our prime duty to be advocates of the patients and to make sure that that what whatever an AI system generates, that we understand it as good as we can, and then communicate this to the patient. But we need to be educated how to how to digest the output of AI systems. So this is one aspect of education. And of course, I mean, education of patients um, in uh, with respect to AI is, is also important. Uh, but I mean, AI is it's a little bit a two-sided uh, sword. Uh, on one hand, AI can be misused to develop, you know, fake news, fake uh, videos, etc. On the other hand, AI uh, is actually quite good in in detecting those fakes. So, um, unfortunately, I think what we'll see a little bit is a is a sort of a 
uh, a race between use and misuse of AI. And, and we just, again, have to be cognizant and have to be aware that AI can be misused and we have to, to safeguard ourselves and our patients against that misuse. Uh, there is good developments underway is specifically in the European Union, uh, where now uh, regulations are implemented, for example, when it comes to to, um, to, to ethical use of AI, uh, specifically in critical areas such as medicine, but also when it comes to uh, indicating what content has been generated by AI, such as uh, large language models. So uh, I am I'm hopeful that uh, that at the end of the day, in the final analysis, AI will contribute more to the greater good than uh, you know contribute to to fake news and 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 you know fake videos. But uh, we have to be pretty careful here and and uh, and be on guard. Yeah, and 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 it's our duty to uh, assure that AI is going to be used for, uh, for useful purposes. And uh, by, by thinking on that and, and saying this, from what you have mentioned, because I, I totally agree with your idea. So data protection is another very sensitive and difficult question. <laughs> yeah. I know that I'm going to, but I have to ask you about this. So yeah. uh, how, how can we find a best balance between privacy and public interest? So uh, how, how is this um, discussed yeah. globally so that we can understand how we, where are the limits and, and how, how can we use this information on the better for the public health without invading too much any yeah. privacy? So uh, Augusto, I think that patient privacy is in, in the greatest public interest. So, so uh, the patient is, in my mind, the owner of his or her health data. So this is just uh, the, the baseline. And, and patient data should be made publicly available uh, under very strict conditions. First, the patient has to be uh, okay with it. Secondly, patient uh, data have to be anonymized. Uh, so, uh, like with the European GDPR, uh, the, the General Data Protection Regulations, uh, that uh, sets very strict rules about about. Uh, the handling of data, the privacy of data. I think we should, we, we must not, you know, sacrifice privacy for the sake of some sort of progress. So I would, I would actually call for a strengthening of privacy rules in the light of uh, rapid developments and artificial intelligence. And, and again, this problem is well recognized and there is, uh, there is quite some discussions how to achieve this balance uh, between, um, between uh, data privacy and use of data. But I, 
My personal opinion is I would rather err on the side of data privacy because the patient or even, even I mean, every human being, I think, has the right to decide what kind of data he or she wants to share uh, publicly. That's, uh, in my mind, a fundamental right. Yeah, and, and again, this is a great insight because maybe this can help us to relocate the patient to the center of the driving force of innovation. Uh, maybe artificial intelligence can be a tool uh, to, to help foster uh, personalized medicine. And this uh, is something that we also have a big discussion on. Yeah. So yeah. Precision, precision nephrology and precision mm -hmm. uh, medicine. So how do, how yeah. do you think yeah. this is yeah. Yeah. going to come in yeah. the future? In, in in many instances, uh, medicine is not really dealing with the individual patient, but rather with um, with the population of patients and with a quote unquote average patient. So the average patient uh, requires a dose of X milligram of a specific drug, right? And we don't really know if this is the right dose for the patient right in front of me. Uh, I think that AI and mathematical modeling can indeed help to uh, in, in the pursuit of personalized medicine. Why? Because these are tools that can use multimodal data, speed, demographic data, lab data, data on, say, from health, from uh, healthcare or fitness trackers or the like, social demographic data, etc., to uh, to really uh, develop optimized treatment schemes for the patient in front of me, not for the average patient in the population. So. Um, it, and this, I think that these tools are particularly good in doing that because they are, uh, AI has quite good capabilities in combining multimodal data sets, large multimodal data, and also follow them over time. Something that's very difficult for a human mind. Uh, but especially because uh, in, say, in, a, in an outpatient clinic, uh, the patient is not always seen by the same physician, right? It changes, but it's still the same patient. And so I think here again, AI tools can help in, in focusing more on a given patient on his or her specifics um, and, and serve by doing so as a, as a tool for the treating uh, healthcare providers. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And if, if not artificial intelligence, but maybe digital and broad analysis of data, uh, maybe they, they might also help us to interconnect healthcare systems across the globe. So we have seen uh, the pandemic, the COVID pandemic. So uh, maybe on the other side of this technology, uh, there is space for uh, better coll collaboration and interconnectivity of healthcare systems uh, by the use of these technologies yeah. and, and some, somehow. Yeah, no, I th you're making a good point. So I think 
AI, but also other technologies, not necessarily AI technologies, really uh, will play an important role in, in, in making our planet a little bit smaller uh, through connecting various data sources. Uh, just to, to give you an example, uh, so we are very interested in the impact of, uh, of climate change on patient outcomes. And in order to address this question, one has to combine data from, uh, from uh, weather data uh, on a macro scale with microclimate data, with uh, models that predict uh, you know, the change of climate over time, uh, with patient-specific data. Uh, lab data, demographic data, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's really through the connection of, of this uh, seemingly unrelated data sets that you gain new insights. So I think that's, uh, that's an important aspect. And, and uh, AI and mathematical modeling really helps to, uh, to just, you know, bring very diverse data sets together that allow uh, the healthcare provider, but also scientists, of course, to get a more, a more uh, comprehensive, a more holistic image of the patient and his or her trajectory over time. Yeah, and uh, when when we we think about AI, usually we we think about the future, but actually AI is our present. It's everywhere, uh, and maybe it's even uh, not only on the technology, but it's also on, on healthcare and, and nephrology uh, and on our daily activities at some point. So, if if AI is our present, can can you think about what is going to be next? So, what what is the future? Yeah. Yeah, first, you're absolutely right. I mean, we are we are surrounded by AI tools. When I when I open uh, my my smartphone, it would recognize my face, and it would, uh, of course, that's all AI. When uh, in some airlines you would want to check in, it's uh, it's uh, face recognition that that allows you to enter a plane in with some airlines. So, the future, I. I think that uh, those generative AI systems, large language models, such as uh, ChatGPT to, to name one and the like, they will get, they will, they will uh, change the way how we, how we work uh, also in the healthcare field in the next, uh, uh, you know, five, 10 years. Why? They will be used, I think, for example, to to extract information, to consolidate information from, say, be uh, it from data from patient records. They will help to uh, make um, possibly. Uh, they, they will help with the integration of data sources. They will help with. Um, you know, developing personalized cooking recipes for our kidney patients. Uh, they will help with uh, identifying uh, in, in research potential promising uh, drugs 
I mean, this is uh, with the drugs, it's maybe a little bit further out, but still. So I, I think that um, the the biggest change will come in the next years from these large language models. Uh, I can see that in the future, patients will interact with with uh, chatbots will provide at least some low-level guidance. I'm not talking about, you know, diagnostics. That's a different uh, ballpark. But, um, but just, you know, easy interaction on, on, on comparatively simple questions. I think that this is, uh, this is what we'll see in the, in the next years to come. Yeah, maybe it will empower our patients and and uh, help them not only to have precise information, but also to better take care of themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, of course, always with the assistance of a healthcare team, but uh, this is, uh, I believe, a very uh, feasible uh, outlook from AI and also possibly we will see some changes in how we produce science in, in, in the future. Uh, not Maybe not only the data sets, but also how we design clinical trials and how they are executed. Not sure if there are, yeah. there, there, yeah. you have any insights on this. Yeah, yeah. actually it's, uh, it's interesting that you say this. So, so we are just, um, you know, testing uh, large main language models now to to uh, make suggestions for clinical studies uh, and and while it's the results of the suggestions are still very poor I there is some improvement so there was an improvement say from ChatGPT uh, 3 to 4 so um, so it, what we did was to say, okay, we want to study X, Y, Z um, in what study design would you recommend, right? So in, in the, it was kind of interesting to see what the outcome was here. And I think that th this uh, will be used more frequently uh, in, in the future. Uh, they will, um, I mean, Another, when you say empowerment of patients, uh, I can see that patients who actually say on automated peritoneal dialysis and there is a malfunction of the system, that they will connect uh, 24 seven, 365 days a year through some, uh, in a first line, through some that's uh, the, the chatbot that's actually driven by uh, by AI and large language models, and they guide the patient through uh, through a certain process. I can see that uh, that patients may use their smartphones to take a picture, say, of their uh, in dialysis of the arterial venous fistula, and that an AI system may. Uh, may indicate ah there, maybe that's an aneurysm that's evolving, so so I can see many many applications there and and I maybe uh, even as you said patients will the patients' positions may be strengthened 
there. And so patients may be empowered to take more responsibility. I can see that uh, AI systems, specifically large language models, can assist the patient in developing, say, uh, making healthier food choices, right? Um, and so, so yeah, so there's a number of opportunities. And I have great hope, actually, that the younger generation of healthcare providers, they will embrace this opportunity. I have, I'm so optimistic in the, in the intellectual capacity of the younger generation. And I, I'm sure they will come up with use cases with applications that, uh, that I certainly cannot even dream of. Well, Professor, uh, I absolutely agree. I'm, I'm very pleased to, to have the, this opportunity to, to have such an insightful discussion with you today. Uh, it was a, a great uh, discussion. Uh, I, I really thank you so much for your time and your availability. Uh, maybe you could just share some final thoughts. Uh, we could uh, maybe even think on a, on a second episode. There are so many uh, things that we could discuss on artificial intelligence. It's, it's such a, a, a vibrant uh, topic, and I'm sure uh, this is going to be uh, also very well rated for our listeners because uh, we really had the opportunity to listen to so many uh, insightful things. Yeah. So, yeah, no, thank you, uh, Augusto. And I have to say, I really enjoy this conversation here. Uh, it's almost like you and I sitting on a, in a cafeteria over, over some <laughs> good coffee and chatting about these things. So it's, um, I really, really enjoy it. You ask for a final thought. I, first, I think that AI, despite all the hype, it's, it's a tool. It will not replace uh, healthcare providers. That's, I think, impor important. And maybe it will help with, uh, you know, setting time free for healthcare providers for more quality time uh, with, with, uh, with patients. Uh, secondly, I think it's really important to, to, uh, to be critical about uh, everything that's hyped, and there's clearly an AI hype here. So I think uh, critical thinking about AI is just so important to, and in order to recognize, say, you know, um, developments that may not be favorable. And we briefly uh, discussed about, you know, the the risk of misinformation and and fake news uh, through AI tools. So I think, uh, yeah, critical thinking and uh, is will become even more important with uh, the spread of AI tools. And, um, and lastly, I, I think it's our role of, as physicians and healthcare providers to really educate ourselves um, about these tools so we, are, we can make uh, deliberate decisions when to use those tools and we are not at the mercy of some you know uh, big companies operating in that space uh, that um, that 
possess uh, the the necessary you know knowledge and power so so i think it's it's upon us to educate ourselves to educate our colleagues as good as we can about these tools yeah these are just some a few thoughts from mine but i agree i mean we um, there is so many topics we only touched on and we briefly scratched on the surface uh, and I'm sure that there will be uh, there will be many other opportunities for a conversation. And I really have to applaud ISN for taking on this topic. And I think it's uh, it's part of the education that uh, that ISN and, and its members have to deliver to its uh, its members and beyond. So really thank you. Okay, so thank you so much once again, Professor. It was really an honor to, to spend those hour, those minutes here with you. I enjoyed every minute, it was outstanding. Thank to all listening to this podcast and following the ISN Global Kidney Podcast. Hope to see you in the next ISN educational event. And of course, hope to see you at the WCN 2024 in Buenos Aires. Thank you, Professor. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.